Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is August of 2023. We are 3DMs talking about our games, helping each other out. I am Jeff Greiner. With me, as always, is, let's say, Sam Dillon. Hello. And also Mike Shea. Hello. And that is all you get for an introduction. Like it. All right. Sam. Yes, sir. Got, I'm going to put 15 minutes on the clock for us to ignore. And okay. you get to tell us about your game. Go. All right. I can do so. So I spoke last time uh, that uh, I'm, I was running at that time, if I recall correctly, and I could be totally off my rocker. So take that. I, th- I think we missed July. I think, I think life happened and we missed We July. recorded it. Well, I mean, this is July. I mean, we didn't. We recorded uh, it for June. This is kind of talking about our July games, even though we're recording in right, early right, right. August. So, yeah, I don't I don't know, man. Don't ask me about timing. <laughs> my point no is, I think, I think we missed a month somewhere. I think yeah. it was last month. Probably. We probably did. So so here's the thing. Uh, so at that time, I had said that my Castle and Crusades game is on hiatus. It is still on hiatus because it was it was meant to be on hiatus through the summer because scheduling is just bonkers in the summer, as people know. Uh, and I was running 4th edition D&D, and I talked a little bit about my uh, my my open campaign there in fourth edition. And uh, I had a couple players that had to drop out and I got a couple new players. Uh, and we've had about 16 sessions. I think they're up to level five, maybe halfway to level six. Uh, and and the, the problem is though, now it's July again. And so now there's been a whole bunch of scheduling conflicts. So we got to 16 sessions and then we stopped because we kept having conflicts every week. Uh, and so, so that's not going to pick up until, you know, a couple weeks from now. So I don't have any real news on that front other than that. It's so fun. I mean, like I really was missing my version of the Nintir Vale and, mm. uh, just the idea of having a very sandboxy game. Cause, uh, we talked a little bit last time about like running published adventures and, and Mike was saying that he's probably not going to run, you know, fifth edition published adventures or whatnot. And I was I saying that you don't usually said that. Yeah, I, you did because I listened to it earlier today no. to see what I talked about. <laughs> you, you, what you said was you felt like you'd gotten kind of burned with some of the adventures that you might run them, but they'll be heavily modified if you bother to run them at all. Yeah, um, they have to prove yeah. themselves to me before I run them. They have, that's they a, have to that's, prove. Yeah, and that's the big thing. I'm not going to just yeah, run yeah. them because yeah. they were made. Yeah, and not, I, you were specifically talking about Watsi adventures. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's true like, for all adventures. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> all of them and, have to and prove so themselves. That's kind yeah. of what we we granted it wasn't like a 30 minute conversation. It was just like a five minute like aside about you know because what I basically said was that's how I run all the time, right? But if you're running a published item, like you want to. I have a tendency at least to try to stick to it a, a great deal, probably a lot greater than if I was just freeform, right? Especially if I have said and promised a group, I'm running this adventure because this is the adventure you wanted me to run, like Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, right? Now, I still changed the hell out of that, but I felt very constrained by certain aspects of it. But that's not because of the adventure. That's because it was a published adventure in the first place. Like, I feel always feel that way with every published adventure. Anyway. I'm getting way off topic. So here's the thing about that is that that's also that's basically true for me that I don't hardly ever run anything published. Like I'll take ideas. I read everything. So I'll take ideas and add Mm -hmm. things and subtract things and whatnot. And it's really been a breath of fresh air to get back to my version of the Nintir Vale and just sort of lay out like okay here's the area here's what you know about certain places and here's you're they're learning about it through play because none of them ever played in the intervale before none of these players and you know here's how the game works because none of them also had ever played fourth edition and here's you know here's what's happening you know in this area and there's a bunch of threats and there's a bunch of different factions and there's a bunch of interesting areas and you can go wherever you want. And there's a little bit of things that are kind of based on what they're doing. I'm stringing them together and, and it's, it's just been a ton of fun. So I'm kind of sad it hasn't met in two or three weeks because of the summer, but it's been a real big breath of fresh air. The other breath of fresh air and that I mentioned on the last episode, but I hadn't done yet was I've now started to run my traveler campaign. So we've had, uh, we had, uh, 
couple of session zeros. So we had a session zero for character creation, and then we had that was session zero A, and then we had a session zero B for them to create a ship because I let them have a ship and and brand new based on some of the, what some of the stuff that happened in character creation. Uh, they had enough sort of age and cachet and and contacts that they could get a whole new ship built for them and be able to afford a mortgage for that. Uh, so we did that. And then we've had now four sessions of that game already. So it is a extremely fun. I love traveler. I've, I've loved traveler for a very long time, but, um, uh, I'm, I'm playing. Oh, so here's, you can see if you're on the Mm -hmm. camera, all of these two shelves, that's all traveler. (laughs) So here's the thing is that's the most current, like actively produced traveler system. And it's, it's called the Mongoose Traveler 2E. And it's got beautifully produced books and all that. But you see how much it is, right? I use literally one of those books, and I'm running my whole game with one of those books. Like, you don't need anything more than the core book. And, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. So what's fun about it is, because they're on a spaceship, they can go planet hopping. So pretty much, I've run four sessions. They've been to um, four different star systems because you jump from star system to star system. So they were at a big old fancy spaceport in the first session. They met a bunch of contacts. They took a bunch of jobs. Now they have to go out and complete those jobs. And they, uh, the most recent thing that happened was they had to get to uh, this one area. They thought they were going to deliver a, a, a dispatch, an Imperial dispatch to a scout way station that had uh, lost contact uh, with some people. And so, um, or the, the, the actual ship that was supposed to deliver to the dispatch didn't ever show up. So they happened to be at a place where they had some Imperial contacts and some of the contacts said, Hey, you know, we can trust you because of your previous credentials. Can you deliver this for us? So they go out and they're supposed to find this planet. That's basically barren. I mean, well, I take it away. The planet's not barren, but it has no population on it. It's just, uh, it's a giant jungle world, but it has like one little tiny station of a scout because they're what they're doing is mapping the planet and finding out all the information about it so that if they want to colonize it, they can do that, right? So there's like a scout way station on it. So they get to the orbit of the planet and they find out there's this huge like sensory satellite that's a manned sensory satellite. So it's basically like a mini space station orbiting the planet. And when they contact the guy, he says he's a scout agent, like he's a he's a he's works for them, but he's not using any of the correct protocol. He's not like using the correct language. He's not so they get really suspicious. So they basically radio back to the last imperial base they were at, or the last imperial the, the starports are basically run by the Imperials, right? So they the Imperials not as in like Star Wars, they're not bad guys, right? So they radio back to the imperial to to the you know the authority in the system and they say hey is this supposed to have you know but who is this scout what's the scout's name is we feel like we're getting like lied to and all this and so he gives them some information well, meanwhile the guy in the satellite tells them well you can go down there but if you go down there you're going to get stuck because there's a storm coming in and that's why you, there's a storm rolling across the planet that's why you can't contact and that's why i responded to you when you contacted me because you can't get down there and they were like, oh, what kind of storm? And he tr- kind of tells them some scientific gobbledygook about, oh, you know, some kind of weird lightning ion stuff. And that's why it's like blocking sensors and like it's crap, right? It's just some crap. And which I'm making up on the fly, right? I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's this storm, you know, whatever, whatever. Some clouds and this, who knows, low pressure, whatever, whatever. So they decide they're going to take their their scanners, which are really high quality, like military level scanners. And they, they, uh, they, they, do like a because the guy says oh the storm's going to last six hours so they decide not to go deliver the dispatch and get stuck down there for six hours they decide to wait in orbit away from this guy and do a little scan of their own while they're waiting and then when the storm clears they'll go down and they'll deliver their thing because they still got to do their job well they sit there for like six hours and they run this huge scan and one of the people on the ship happens to have been a star marine previously and has run scans of of systems while they were doing drop ship deliveries and whatnot and notices an anomaly and so they do like this 
two-hour deep dive into this information that the sensors were sending back, and they realize that there is a fleet of ships hidden in the forest on the surface of the planet. And so then they're like, oh, crap, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like, this is not good. We, you know, this is not this is definitely not good. So then they try to, they look some more and they figure out, okay, well, this isn't like some kind of rogue pirates or something. These are Imperial starships. Like this is an Imperial fleet waiting for something. So they end up flying down. So the storm passes, they end up flying down and all these ships down there are basically hidden and cloaked. And they're, they should be cloaked from most sensor, you know, sensor activity, right? But they they got seen because they rolled amazingly well. So they fly down and they find out that this this scout base, which they thought was just going to be like two shacks and a you know small living module, is like a huge base. It's a very much bigger base. But when they start looking at it, they see the base is hastily constructed. Like this is all like brand new in the past few days. I mean like they they just kind of stumbled upon something that they're probably not supposed to see, but they've already gone in out of orbit and gone started to go down to the planet. So they're like, crap, we can't just turn around. And then they get hailed by the ground officer. And the ground officer tells them, no, you need to land because we need to, you know, come talk to you and don't leave your ship when you land and we'll give you instructions and all this. And so, so they're like crap in their pants because they don't know what's going to happen. But basically, they they get down there, and what happened was I had a player contact me a couple days before, and he was like, oh, I'm really sorry, but my work schedule changed, and I can't make the game on a regular basis, and definitely not for, like, the next three or four weeks, so I just, like, you know, ghost me or pretend like I'm not there, or maybe I'll stay in the ship if they go off the ship to go do things, and I'm like, okay, I got a great idea, because that guy's background is, like, he's the spy, like he worked in military intelligence and he had all these things. So the reason why this planet let him let them land is because when they scanned, they got the manifest. They know who all of the crew of the of the ship is and they know who that person is. So they had them land. They asked them all to get off. They come in, they like interview them all. They check their cargo. They make they make sure that the dispatch they're delivering isn't really like weapons or bombs or something. And then they arrest the spy. And they take him away and they're like, oh, under Imperial warrant section, blah, 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 blah. You know, he, he, we're remanding him for whatever, whatever. And they basically like put cuffs on him and walk him away. And the rest of the crew's like, oh, <laughs> the, the commander then of the base just tells them, get back on the ship and get out of here. Like you, it is in your best interest to just say that you never saw this base. You were never here. You never landed. When you leave, before you leave orbit, you need to wipe your records uh, because anything that is said about this, we will deny, and it will not exist in the records at all. So you are you are free to leave. And the whole time they're flying out away from that base and back up into orbit, they're like, crap, are they going to shoot us down? Are they going <laughs> to shoot us down? Are they going to shoot us down? Like, but are, do we have evasive maneuvers ready? Because they might shoot us down. <laughs> or they might send some fighters after us, and nobody wants to get into a dogfight with these you know, military fighters or whatever so so now they've got this big mystery about why is that fleet hidden there mm -hmm. it's imperial space it's not like it's not like it's hidden on an unfriendly planet or something it's just hidden on a planet that they don't know anything no one knows anything about so it's not colonized so well and it, and all of that it's a fleet that the empire is hiding no it i don't i don't know the yeah. setting but it feels like the empire would usually benefit from flexing their muscles and being like look at all of our big fleets leave us alone right so i mean hiding I, one is, is yeah. so there there is a reason for all this so yeah. so part of the thing that ha so if any of my players are listening to this you need to stop listening right now <laughs> uh so so the, so the reason for this is there's this system that they were just at a planet in the same system that is under a, a religious dictatorship and there's it's having the the person who's in basically the pope in that position, it's not what it's called, but that's basically what they are, is about to die. He's like, space he's certainly Pope. ill. Yeah, the space Pope, right? That's <laughs> what I was thinking too. <laughs> this position is the supreme scribe, okay? And it's a whole like thing, right? So he's, but he's ill. And so now all of these families are going to vie for power and they're going to try to install their leader in that power vacuum. But the planet has 60 billion people on it. 60 billion. So... 
the Imperium wants all of those people mm-hmm. to stop worrying about that religion and to start, like, you know, enlisting in the Imperial Navy so, and the Imperial so Marines. And the Imperial they're Army going to convert people's Council. religion at the, at, at the end of a barrel of a gun. No, what they're going to do is they're going to wait for all hell to break loose on the planet. And the planet is actually in Imperial space. Mm-hmm. So if at any point someone in the, on the planet, someone with enough influence on the planet requests Imperial interdiction, or at any point if the head of the starport, which is orbiting the planet, that's Imperial space. If the, if the commander of the starport authority decides that it's too dangerous, they can, they can uh, basically put an interdiction on that planet. They can make it an amber zone. It's already actually an amber. It's already been designated an amber zone, which means uh, there's danger there. Be careful about traveling there. So that's, that's just a warning. Like it's kind of like telling people here, you know, not to fly to the Ukraine right now. Cause there's a war, right? Like it's kind of like that. So there's no, there's no like law against it technically in this universe, but, but there is a notification there. So any ship coming into that system is going to see that right away. And if the starport authority on that starport that manages that, that area decides that an interdiction is needed because there's going to be a massive outbreak of either a disease or war or something that could damage the Imperium's interests. Otherwise, like if they start attacking the starport, then they can actually call the Imperium to come in and install martial law for a while until things calm down. And they would do that under the guise of, we just are trying to stop getting you, stopping you killing yourselves. We're not going to take over. We're just making things calm. But of course they want to take over because they, they want those 60 million people because you add 60 million people. I mean, there's like 11,000 systems in the traveler universe. So that like they need, right. A lot of people to keep maintaining their power in the universe. So that's what's, that's what's kind of behind the scenes going on. I don't know how it's going to go because what happens depends on what the players do. Is it possible that behind the scenes, the empire is actually stirring up some of the potential troubles? Oh, for sure. Because one of the things that the party found out in the last couple of sessions was uh, when they got to this planet, to the starport, and they were going to deliver their goods, they weren't going to go down to the planet because they knew it was a yellow zone or amber zone, but they they were just going to deliver some things, and the actual the starport commander there contacted them and said, hey, can I have a meeting with you? Right. Um, and wanted to talk to them about some of the things they had in their cargo, but then while he's there, he basically says, oh, by the way, you know, you want to make sure you don't go down to the planet. There's all these things happening. It's getting very right. dangerous here, so when you leave here, you might not want to come back. In other words, don't plan to stop here on your return trip because there there might be some problems. And then they went and looked, so they, they negotiated with that guy, and they talked about some other job offers they had and whatnot because they were trying to get information about everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. And then that's who they contacted when they got to that planet, and and there was like a sensor array guy in a in a space station right there, right? And they're like, "Who is this guy? This isn't this is this is suspicious." And he basically told them, "No, no, it's okay. He's just, here's the names of the people. You know, it's it's fine. You know." Um, and they went when they went and looked that guy up. It turns out he used to be basically the the second in command of an entire battle squadron in one of the military fleets a couple of sectors away and his re- that's all like his record is wiped clean and now he's like the commander at a starport like that's so they're like oh this guy like he's yeah. he's been installed there to like make sure that they can coordinate their military forces the right way when it's time and that he'll know when it's time more than some general joe schmo starport authority guy right so that's so they kind of fig- i mean you know, this is all like most of this is just this stuff came out because it's stuff that happened based on what the players were doing and talking about and like what they were saying. And, you know, there were a couple things that were in there for like the, I already knew the fleet was on the planet, but they might not have noticed it. So in that case, then the question would have been, well, what, what how come this way station is a lot bigger than we thought? But, oh, we're not threatened by the thousand spaceships that are landed right here. Right. They don't. So, yeah. Very very fun game though. It's very yeah, like very fun. interesting. Yeah. The uh, the the situation reminds me of a couple of the areas in uh, my favorite game that I don't hardly ever get to play, Torg Eternity. Um, 
And so there's, there's uh, specifically, I first thought of the cyber papacy, um, mm-hmm. which is they present themselves not as conquerors because the whole idea is that these different realities are invading earth. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't come in right. as conquerors. They came to earth and they're like, no, 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 we're not conquerors. We're here to help you and protect you. Look, there's, there are witches and demons running around set aside the fact that sometimes they're the ones summoning the demons, but they're, but they're out there mm-hmm. and we need to be right. here to protect you. And, and, and there's all these horrible people invading the earth and, and our technology is going to yeah. save you. So come and join the cyber Pope. And we, th- that's his literal <laughs> title. Uh, yeah. And we will protect you. Right. Uh, the other one is uh, Pan Pacifica, which is sort of the, the East Asian Japan, China um, cosm where the people don't even realize that they've been invaded um, because the invasion it has been done by basically a giant mega corporation. Uh, and nice. the technology yeah. is a little bit more advanced than normal earth technology, mm-hmm. but not a lot mm-hmm. more advanced. So it seems like it's just cutting right. edge prototype stuff. And there was this weird uh, virus that oh, must've come from all these other realities invading uh, setting it, you know, you can, and you can figure out through the gameplay that no, no, it was actually yeah. them that released this virus that created like this zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and they're the only ones who can protect you with all, with all their advanced weaponry and whatever. So it feels right. a little bit similar uh, sort <laughs> yeah. of setup. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, th- they did other stuff too, like before they started discovering that there's some crap going down in the system, you know, and they may or may not engage with, they may just be like, let's get the hell out of there. Sure. We'll let our, our buddy that got arrested. Cause they know the arrest was really just a way for them to reactivate that guy. Right. Right. They're going to reactivate him back into military intelligence and then he'll come back when it's time. Um, but like, they might just decide we're getting out of there. We don't want to, we don't want to have anything to do with this. Right. But now they know something. So now I can use that later to put pressure on them when they come into contact with different pieces. Right. And also on the other hand, they, they might decide to go back to the other star base and talk about it. So like, I have no idea what they're going to do. It's whatever they want. I also find that when I run a game that's more sandboxy, right. Like you, like you've Mm -hmm. talked about with a few of your games now, uh, yeah. You know, th- there's stuff out there. You can go wherever you want, do whatever you want. Yeah, you know, I can do that, but there's not an inherent story there, right? The, the narrative right. through. So mm-hmm. you have to see things like that yeah. that they can yeah. latch onto or yeah. not, but you have to have a few of right. those seeds. So they have, they yeah. have, they feel like they have a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the, the cool thing about Traveler is like, because they can go, like we're in we're in a smaller area like they can't just go anywhere in the universe mm-hmm. like i mean theoretically they could but their ship is only jump too capable so it can only move a very small distance at a time but they you know but they have access in, in what's called the library computer, right? Which is basically space Google. That's what we call it, right? <laughs> There's space, space Google. They have access to all of the basic general information about every planet in their entire subsector, right? And like who runs it, what kind of government it has, whether it's dangerous or not. Like what are the names of the ruling factions there? Are there companies? Because there's a lot of mega corporations there too, because right. ultimately the Imperium is is really a way to just make it so that trading can happen a lot smoother, right? Like, of course, there's a lot of military action too, but but their supposed stated purpose of having the Imperium in the first place, and it's a thousand-year-old Imperium, so like their stated purpose is they want to get as many member planets and systems as possible so that trading can occur and so that the overall technology level can go up for everyone and then more trading can happen and everybody can thrive. Like that's their, that's kind of their thing. Right. So it really is like a trading game. You load in your cargo in one area and you're, you're trying to take it somewhere else. And the game is what happens in between, right. When they're going, from planet A to planet B and they discover, oh crap, there's a whole fleet on that planet that's not supposed to be there and we weren't supposed to see. Right. And now so what's it's happening? A, it's there? a little bit Firefly right. in that way, right? It's very Firefly yeah. in that way. The way that, so there's a lot of different ways to run the game. Like Traveler is a very open system. So you could run it very military. Like you could all be a military squad. You could go to, you could play it like aliens, right? Or okay. you could run it like I'm running it very open, but with mostly trading, you could run it like your pirates. You can run it like your corporate, you know, intelligence people trying to make sure that you're, you know, stealing other corporations secrets. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. It's just depending on, you know, how much tech you want to allow in your game and how much money they want to try to make. And yeah, it's, it's super fun, but yeah, it's very firefly. It's very firefly. Merrick in the chat says that it's, it's, 
probably a better system for running Firefly than the Firefly or the the Serenity <laughs> RPG is. Yeah, so. I mean, so I mean, Firefly itself, the the apocryphal thing is Firefly was actually a traveler campaign that Josh Whedon was in or ran when oh. he was in college or something. Like that's the apoc. I don't know really. Some someone somewhere said it and it became like the common thing. And he never denied it. So, <laughs> like it's one of those things where they're pretty sure that it's some combination of something there, right? I see. And that's that's really what it is. It's like Space Cowboys. You could run it like Space Cowboys. Right you could run it like Aliens. You could run it like Starship Troopers. You can run it like anything. So, I mean, it feels like and, you could do a very uh. uh scoundrels focused star wars style game too you could be a bunch of yeah. solos and bounty hunters and so the the thing about it is that like the 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 thing about the traveler universe that's different from other kind of space things is that they don't have they're faster than light travel is very odd so they have these things called jump drives mm -hmm. you don't go into hyperspace what happens is you go into jump space and no matter how far you're going it takes one week to get there so if you have okay. a jump two drive, you you can go a maximum of two parsecs in that one week. If you have a jump six drive, you can go six parsecs in that one week. If you have a jump one drive, you can only go one parsec in that one week. Mm -hmm. And it takes a whole ton of fuel. But you but while you're in that jump space, you have no contact with anyone else in the universe because right. you're kind of in a pocket dimension, right? I've, and I've so read it gives novel. yeah, it gives this sort of age of sale feel right to what's happening so when you go into jump space you're in jump space for a week you're traveling from point a to point b you know you've got a job to do you have no idea what has happened on any planet anywhere for that one week because you have to come out of jump space for all your computer your space google to update with the update. latest news yep. right <laughs> yep. so when you're looking at space google when you're in jump space you're just seeing past news right. you're not seeing current news so it's like you got on a ship you sailed across the you know the planet you weren't talking to anybody for that whole time, and now suddenly you're at the new location. And so that's part of what makes the trading and mortgage thing actually workable because you're not just like, oh, press a button, you go in hyperspace, and suddenly you're across the universe, you know. Right. And if you want to play the commodities game, then you you run into this interesting, like, oh, hey, we it's been a week. We've got there. Oh, the the something happened, and the price of corn that we're that we're hauling right. got, dropped or whatever. Yeah, you can do speculative trading where you you pick up, you look at the planets in the area, and you say, oh. It's illegal to, to to send you know technology to that planet. Or it's illegal to deliver weapons to that planet. Let me see if somebody wants to actually get some of those delivered because that will pay a whole lot because right. it's illegal, right? Right. But then you're in jump space for a week, so you don't know what's happened on that planet. And when you get there, you just do your job. You don't check in and say, "Oh, is everything still okay? You want me to deliver these weapons?" Because if you don't deliver them, you don't get your money. Right. So yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting that way. Yeah, but you can you can sort of do Star Wars with it, but well, I I, I, I mean if I was going to do Star I said, Wars, I, said, I would I do something scoundrels, else. Yeah, the scoundrels yeah. and bounty hunters type of Star Wars, not yeah laser swords type of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I still your, would your probably use a different system for that. Oh, so. sure. Your fifteen minutes has has gone about yeah, half sorry. an hour now. So <laughs> well, I uh, you got me talking questions. about Traveler. <laughs> I could talk about Traveler for hours. Absolutely. <laughs> so we should probably move on. Before we do, though, I want to. Encourage people to check out patreon.com slash the tome show. Uh, you can pitch in as little as a dollar a month and help us pay the bills. We've got 19 great um, supporters over there these days, including Doug Palmer, Palmer, Hyperlexic, Leonard Pelche, and Michael Harrison. Uh, so come and hang out with us there and, and help me pay the bills to keep the, the tome show and all of our fun shenanigans going. All right. 15 minutes on the clock for me to ignore. <laughs> so I am uh, I'm still running my Descent into Avernus game uh, it's going very well um, my my game with my kids has basically gone on long term hiatus uh, over the last over the summer um, the oldest is is off to a month long camp and you know uh, various things he also got a job so half the time he's working on Sundays when we usually play you know, whatever so uh, so we've been playing a lot of board games, whatever. But for my Descent into Avernus game, um, I have, as I am prone to do, I take an adventure. I say, I'm going to run this adventure, and I don't do the same, th same thing, right? I squish every little thing I can think of that could fit into the campaign into the campaign uh, beyond what's what's written. Uh, and so one of the things, you know, so I've been, I I, I got the bundle of the, the Adventures League 
bundle of adventures that was uh, Avernus associated, and I'm, I'm squishing that into it. And I bought a bunch of other stuff uh, on Adventures League, and so I, I'm squishing those things into it every here and there. Um, but I got to a point where we had been doing a lot of these side things. Like, the amount of time it took them to get from the Bone Brambles to um, Archon's Tower was phenomenally long because I kept throwing all these like side quests at him, right? So it, it was like two or three months of in-game time um, playing these other things. And I got to a point where it's like, you know, I feel like it's time for them to feel like they're actually making progress in the main story. <laughs> so maybe maybe I set aside the side quest for a little bit. The Wandering Emporium, which is sort of the centerpiece of the Adventures League Adventures, is, is going somewhere else. Uh, and they're not going to have to worry about that for a while. Fine. Uh, and so they they made it to um, um, Archon's Tower. They met with Crawl, uh, the Tortle Death Cleric there. Um, they basically insisted on waiting for Archon to come back um, <laughs> instead of going to the to the Monument of Tiamat to, to find him. They're like, yeah, let's not meet this guy on, on ground that he's chosen. Let's just hang out here at his tower as if that's going to not be ground that he's chosen either. Uh, and wait for him to show up. And so but they do. They sit around for hours or a day or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's Avernus. Who knows how time works? Um, Archon shows up. Um, Archon has been built up as a particular foe of theirs. Uh, one of the characters is a uh, dragonborn cleric of Bahamut. Um, and so... Archon being a chosen of or champion of, of Tiamat, of course, is a natural enemy. But I've sort of built it up that actually, you didn't know this, but Archon is actually your like great great uncle. Um, and he killed your great great aunt, who was also a follower of Bahamut. And there's this like family cycle that happens where where two relatives go different directions, one following Tiamat, one following Bahamut, and then one of them always kills the other one. Uh, and right now, the same story is playing out with you and your brother, because uh, the character's brother is a follower of Tiamat and has shown up both in his backstory and it, uh, had popped up at like outside the Dungeon of Dead Three with the the cult of the dragon or whatever. Um, and so, so like Archon is not their friend. There's no scenario where they want to help this guy. But they also show up, and he shows up. He comes back from the monument in force, right? Torgar, the big Minotaur guy, is there. He's there. He, he comes in riding his his what is he riding? A chimera or or a manacore or whatever it is. Um, you know, he's there's and plus there's the legion inside of the tower and a dragon flying around on guard duty, and and you know, um, you know, there's there's something like uh, in the book. There's something like a hundred or two hundred undead. Um, at their beck and call inside the tower and around the tower. Uh, and so they're like, eh. so we don't like the guy, but maybe this isn't the time. Maybe, maybe discretion is the better part of valor at this point, right? Uh, but the way the adventure is written is if you need if, you know, you need to get the Tiamat's blood. He's got a little, a little vial of Tiamat's blood as a reliquary, Archon does. And they want to get that so they can give it to this titan that's been transformed into a spine devil so that he can become a titan again or whatever um and they need the blood anyway because morden canaan that I, I i'm using the avernus as a sandbox um suggestions from eventier that he published um and so uh basically in order to find out where the people are that know where the the bleeding citadel is um you have to give somebody some powerful blood, right? And well, Tiamat's blood—that's pretty powerful. Uh, and so they want the the blood, but then they get there and they're like, "Yeah, but we, but we're not going to fight the guy because we don't want to die." And the thing you're supposed to bargain with with him is a dragon orb that they've been carrying around since they were at the t the the Titans. I forget the Titans' name. Aldrak, Aldrak's grave. Since they were at Aldrak's grave, and they got it out of the pommel of the sword and all that kind of stuff, right? So they've been hauling this this dragon orb around, um, and 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 it 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 became an issue where they're like, yeah, but like, screw this guy. The last thing we want to do is make him more powerful because we're eventually going to come back and kill him. 
and and he wants all this stuff to try to use the power of these artifacts, like the hand of Vecna that he's got and, and whatever, to try to free Tiamat from her prison in Avernus. We don't want that. So why would he give him more more powerful things? Which is which is a legitimate thing that the 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 descent into Avernus adventure and book does not anticipate happening. <laughs> other than there's other options, you can always go the other the other way. Um. So and then that's ultimately what they did is that they made a deal. Um. And said, "Hey, well, well, we'll go find that dragon orb for you. Not tell him that we already have it in the bag of holding over here. Shh. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go find that dragon orb for you and, and bring it back. And then they talked it over. It's like, yeah, we're not, we're not going to do that. And, and the dragonborn character is like, oh crap! Like he gave up a family heirloom for them to hold as a sign of good faith to get to give back when they actually showed up and, and came through on their other end of the bargain. So I guess his ring of shooting stars that was his his great great aunt's uh, family heirloom just isn't going to get back to him until." they finally get around to, to killing Archon. Who knows when that'll be. Uh, so instead, they decided to go to another spot in Avernus that they'd already heard was a place to possibly get powerful blood. Um, the the um, Avernus as, as, a, as a sandbox uh, suggestion says, turn the, the Barlagura that's trapped at the obelisk into a pit fiend um, that's willing to bargain. Right. And and they can just go and uh, or not a pit fiend, uh, a bailer. That's the demon one. Right. It's the demon one. And Balor is the demon. Yeah. Yeah. Funny that the Balor will negotiate. And right. a pit fiend, a pit fiend's a lot more likely to negotiate. Sure. Sure. But Balor is more likely to explode. The, the Balor will negotiate because it can't get out of the away from the obelisk and desperately wants to just tear Bell and for trapping him there for who knows how long. Right. So he's so bent on revenge that he's like, yeah, sure, fuck, take take my blood. I don't give a shit. Find somebody to replace <laughs> me here because uh, I got to go kill Bell. Um, and, and it just so happened. So um, the way travel in Descent into Avernus works is if you're trying to go a place because geography in hell isn't stable. All alien. Right. Yeah. And, well, and it's not stable. It moves around. Right. Um, you know, uh, there, there are times. And so what you do is when you're trying to get a place um, – you roll certain dice and the amount, the more information you have, if you have a guide, it's a bigger die. If you, if it's marked on your map, it's like a D four. If you've got, uh, if you've been there before, it's like a D 10 or a D 12 or whatever, but you roll two of them. And if you roll the same number, you didn't actually get where you wanted to go. You accidentally bumped into a different location, uh, in Avernus. Well, trying to go to, from, uh, go, trying to go to the obelisk, they happen to roll doubles. And then I always have them roll a D20 and just sort of arbitrarily start counting locations on the map until I get to whatever number they rolled. Uh, and it took them to the spawning trees. And the story of the spawning trees is that this is where all the abyssal chickens are born out of a pool of demon ichor um, that's, that's there. And um, some bearded devils are there. And one of the bearded devils, Crickendolt, um, is kind of tired of being a bad guy and getting picked on and bullied for it a bunch and whatever. And so... They rescued Crickendolt from the other uh, bearded devils and brought him along in their war machine, and then went to the obelisk. And Crickendolt's like, "I want to, I want to make my make make my life right, uh, make up for all the horrible things I did. So I'll I'll volunteer to sacrifice myself and replace that that Baylor uh, trapped at the obelisk because somebody has to replace him." Um, so so he did. Now Crickendolt, the bearded devil, is trapped there, and the Baylor uh, Ubalux is free. And roaming around Avernus, gathering up an army to assault uh, Bell's Forge. So if they ever end up at Bell's Forge, they'll they'll find that that the volcano is under assault by this Baylor and and whatever army he's managed to gather together. Uh, from there, they got the blood. They took the blood to Morden Canaan because that they decided that was the source of information that was probably the most reliable. Some some you know mortal wizard as opposed to weird things out of mirrors or or evil hags or whatever, they decided that Mordenkain is the way to go. They gave Mordenkain the blood. Mordenkain said, okay, well, here's the deal. Um, Olanthius is here. You can find him at the Crypt of the Hellriders. Um, you know, and they kind of know some of their these characters' backstories. You know, Olanthius was the one who refused to to join Zeriel and killed himself instead, and then Zeriel raised him as a death knight and forced him into servitude. Uh, and then he also hears Harriman. Here's the other one who who knows where the Bleeding Citadel is, or who might know where the Bleeding Citadel is, because he was there when it all went down. Um, but also, there's two Shatter Kai in the party 
who are assassins. Like the, their story, their backstory is in a previous life, they founded this great assassins guild in the Shadowfell that collects souls and memories for, um, for the Raven Queen. Uh, and they always get their target. They never fail to get their target, right? Uh, except one of the characters has one person that they've failed to get the target for before. And it's Jander Sunstar, um, mm. who is yep. who is impaled at Harriman's Hill. Um, and should, should be an easy mark. Right. Uh, ex- except that she are, she purposely let him go. Like she was convinced she, the gender convinced her to let him go. Um, mm. and she was moved by his honor or whatever and, and let him go. Um, but now Morton Cannon's like, Oh, by the way, Oh no, it wasn't even Morton Cannon. They, they were on their way there and ran and decided to stop by Fort Knucklebone. And the Wandering Emporium was there. Um, and and I even forget who it was now, but somebody hired them. Somebody gave them a contract. It, uh, it was it was Morningkanen. Morningkanen gave them a contract and said, so I don't care where you go to get your information, but I need you to kill Jander Sunstar. Like, he suffered enough. Let him go. And and that was, of course, a meaningful moment for her because she's like, oh, this is the, the one guy that got away. right? The one guy I didn't kill when I had a contract in a previous life. So fine, we'll go kill Gender Sunstar and take on Harum. And uh, they stop. Then they stop by uh, Fort Knucklebone uh, because they wanted to get some upgrades to their Infernal War Machine. And they they like Mad Maggie and, and trust uh, Chucka and Clonk, the the two uh, Kinku mechanics there. Um, and so they they yeah they wanted to make some updates. And I I, I did this when I ran the adventure for my kids too. Um, I make available a teleporter. That you, it was just a little thing that you can add to your infernal war machines, um, and I like to add offer to get that added, and they're having it added to their war machine because otherwise there's very little conversation in the adventure or in descriptions of Avernus of how you get from one side of the sticks to the other side of the sticks. So it's just an easy like let's add this teleporter, and then we don't have to think about it anymore. We can just teleport across the river whenever we get to it, you know, uh, and not have to think about that that BS anymore, or leave our war machine on the banks of the river while we cross on a boat, you know, or whatever it is. So they're getting that done, and um, and got and while that work is being done, they walk, worked their way across the river and went to Harmon's Hill. And then I ran into a situation, and they found Jander, and and he begged them to kill him anyway. So they're like, great, we can do that, and. and <laughs> Uh, and they did that whole thing, and then the Sturges went went crazy like they do, and, and the Sturges, there's a swarm of like 20 Sturges that attack, and then after one round, Harriman shows up, right? So can, uh, I, can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. So is that the fact that that uh, assassin finally killed that guy, the one that got away, like, is that going to cause, like, some kind of massive, like, like change in like i i don't know i mean it seems to me if their family is like known for like being the assassins right like and they and they're like the perfect assassins and they never you know they they will never let you down and all that but then there was the one that kind of was never like is this like fulfilling some kind of a prophecy or something that makes it so that now they're at you know now there's like okay he deserved to die because he had suffered enough so he is still being assassinated but the reasoning is different like is that going to change like Maybe. Like I'm just because that sounds like a really cool moment. Like yeah, no, where and it was, and it was you can a really have cool a, sh- a shit right in in what their entire purpose is. Yeah. No, it's, it is a cool moment, and that character specifically. So so the two characters that are Shatterkai are twins, right? Um, and and it's not really a family assassination business. Uh, it's just a one that they created in a previous life, and and that was an early campaign negotiation when they came to session zero. They're like, okay, so here's the thing: we're twins, we're Shadowkai, and we're the founders of this really really badass assassins guild. I'm like, yeah, but like that doesn't make sense because you're level one. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make sense that you've been running around the plains and, and and perfectly assassinating every target you've ever had for for you know decades. Uh, so, but Shatter Kai, they they die and get reborn, right? So, how about you're the you were the founders in a previous life, and you still have some memories of being the founders, and it maybe chafes a little bit that you're not currently in control of the guild that you had helped create in a previous life, uh, and so that's sort of the thing. And but that might be an interesting in the, in an epilogue to the adventure. That might be an interesting touchstone of you know, and and now you have a perfect record again. 
you know, you didn't have a perfect record and it gave them justification to keep you out of, out of the, the, the seat of power. Right. Uh, but now you do, right. You, you, you made up, made up for it. And, and ultimately I've told them before at the beginning and I, it comes up every now and then that sort of the, the theme of the campaign is redemption. So in a way that that's a moment of redemption for her as well. So that, that that's a good point. Um, I ran it after, so I, I described in detail, you know, they were fighting the Sturges, and then I described in detail Harriman flying up in his nightmare and landing in front of them, um, and then we stopped our session for the for the, the week, right? Um, and I did that on purpose because I knew, well, I I did that because it was the end of the night and I needed to stop, but, but I wanted to have that first round of combat with the Sturges um, to set that up, right? Because um, ending the session with and then a bunch of surges go crazy isn't nearly as dramatic as this devil knight rides through the air and lands in front of you and, and calls for your death for freeing the cowards um and that's more a lot more badass but then i ran into an issue where the next time we played one of the characters was one of the players was gone so one of the characters was out um and we're down to four players. We lost one of the players. Uh, two of our players were married and got divorced, and it became a thing, and he needed a break. He's going to come back, he says, but he's basically given a break for this campaign. Um, okay. Um, so, so yeah. So, so we're down to four, and we're missing one. So we're going to go ahead and play, because if we didn't play when we were down to three, we wouldn't play very often. Well, we would. We mostly all show up every week, but... Um, but we were going to go ahead and play without him. But I needed to figure out, like, he his whole thing is that he is a horseman. Uh, and there was a, I was going to have this whole tie-in to Harriman, because uh, Harriman's also on a horse and whatever. I was going to have all this stuff connected there. So I didn't want him to miss that part. Um, so I... He's the one that's gone now? He's the one that's gone, yeah. Oh, bummer. So yeah. I needed an idea of, okay, how do I run an entire session? And fill f- four to six hours of time, or whatever it is that we play, um, four four hours of time. How do I fill four hours of game time with a session that in game only takes moments? And I decided on on a whim to 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 try out this AI thing. And so I started asking Chat GPT what the <laughs> hell I could do. And after you know a half an hour conversation with Chat GPT, I actually narrowed it down to a pretty good idea. It then took me another like hour to, to refine it and, and make it fit and whatever. Uh, but between myself and ChatGPT, we came up with the Temple of Veiled Divinity that at Harriman's Hill in Avernus is a thin spot between the planes that connects to this little pocket that it, that is equally between Avernus, the Shadowfell, and the Primaterial world just outside of Elturel. Uh, and, and in that and so then I, then I started futzing with the Raven Queen a little bit, tying in some of the the Narath uh, to tie back to what you were talking about, right? Um, that and 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 came up with this idea. Well, I think when the in this case when the Raven Queen cast her great ritual to become a goddess, there was a part of her that was afraid of the power, and it kind of separated her. So there are two aspects of the Raven Queen, just that one of them has been in this little pocket temple of veiled divinity hiding for thousands of years or whatever um and now the agents of tiamat have shown up and chained her and are draining her of her divinity to give to tiamat and so the party is pulled out of time into this little pocket that where time doesn't exist run through a bunch of trials where they had to um they saw sort of a mosaic telling the story of the raven queen and then they um they had to go through a bunch of trials and a lot of the trials were like okay look at your past i describe a scene this is a scene from your childhood what did you do wrong and you had to identify what they did wrong based on the tenets of the raven queen that they saw in the mosaics uh, in order to pass the trials. And then they, they go through that and, I, and it tied in all these different aspects of the Raven Queen. There was death, there was memory, there was fate. It was all Raven Queen-y sort of stuff. And at the end, you get to fight the Abishai that are draining her um, and, and free her. And then she gives you a boon and whatever. Uh, and that and then, then you're sent back and only you know, a blink of an eye has passed. Uh, then I started the, the next campaign, uh, the next session with the one character who was gone having this this vision and that's why he wasn't there he was trapped in this vision from these two three powerful entities all vying for his his um I don't know, allegiance or whatever 
Um, and which way is he going to go? Because he's an oath, oath of vengeance paladin. So is he going to go the vengeance route? He's getting, uh, he doesn't know who all the entities are yet, but he's getting visions from Bahamut. He's getting visions from the entity the, of wrath itself, of like the seven sins. Uh, and then he's getting visions from um, Kaz the Destroyer, or the Bloody Handed, um, who is in my campaign, the entity trapped inside the companion who is also their patron and been giving them sort of visions and talking to them this whole time. And sort of he gets a glimpse of three futures. Your your future could be any of these three things. And in each one, he's holding a different weapon. Uh, and then which and then he so he chose one of them. And then that was the weapon that Haraman was was wielding on the back of the, the nightmare in the fight. And so all of that worked really well. It played out really well. They really enjoyed the uh, two sessions in a row with tons of like character oomph. Um, and I think it, it was a lot of fun. I think they, they all had a, had a blast with those. Um, so yeah, I, I highly encourage people to do that kind of stuff. The trick is you can't do it all the time, right? And sometimes you hold, my tendency is to hold back too much. I, I need to save this. I need to make it really special. I need to make it really important. No, 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 I should have just done it. I should have just given, you know, had that big moment and just done it. But anyway, um, I'm going to stop there because Mike needs to leave in 20 minutes and um, we need to give him time to do that. So at our, uh, at our current pacing, I should get through one third of my uh, perfect description. So uh, just to let people know, if you want to uh, hang out with us, you can go to the Tome Show's discord. Uh, We are also, I guess we're technically still on X. Is that what we're going to call it now? The the site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, There's a Facebook page. You can also just email the tome show at gmail.com. Where's our Mastodon page, man? Uh, I have I have a Mastodon. Fire it up. Um, Get on I, the Fediverse. I'm I'm Squatch at Dice Camp. Uh, so there you go. There. Yeah, so. I'm on I'm on Mastodon too. Yeah. There's not a tome show Mastodon though. It's I don't just, know how to create like yeah. a page on Mastodon, so yeah. I don't know. I mean, just make an account. Same you don't. Yeah, right, that's what I did. It's account. Squatch. It's me. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Oh, you Same made one. that the Tome Show. Well, I, just, oh, I got the logo on there. So. Yeah. That works. Or we, yeah. do we, or just find, find us individually instead of uh, a Tome Show page, because <laughs> the, the Tome Show Twitter was always just me anyway. So Yeah. All right. So, Mike. Yo. I'm going to put 15 minutes on the clock, and you're probably going to actually stick to it. I'm going to. I'll stay you, on you it. you got to leave. <laughs> We finally uh, discovered how to make somebody stick to the 15 minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to talk about my, um, I, it's my shadowed, I have to remember my shadowed keep on the Borderlands campaign, not my shadow dark campaign, two campaigns with both shadow in it. Well, I don't have a campaign for shadow dark, but I ran shadow dark and it was pretty awesome. You should try shadow dark. Um, and uh, but I did run my Shadowed Keep campaign, which we talked about the last time we were on. I was figuring out what I wanted to do with it. I don't know if I had run, had I started it when we chatted last? This was the, you know, based on Raging Swans. Um, yeah, but you, waging, didn't, you didn't talk a whole lot about it because you were just, just like in. The- I think, I, yeah, I don't know if I had, yeah, I don't know if, yeah. if I had started yet. So I made a terrible mistake. And the terrible mistake was bothering to try to connect it to Greyhawk at all. And instead, I should have just stuck to the default kind of setting that they have in there because it really doesn't matter, right? Like, we're, I'm not really using Greyhawky sort of stuff. Like, it was okay to sort of tie some of the characters to Elven Nations of the West and to talk about some of the, you know, archipelago, archipelago, you know, areas in the South where the turtle came from. Archipelago. Archipelago. And, you know, the... Uh, so that, you know, there's like a little bit, but like, you know, other than that, I'm not really bringing in any of the sort of Greyhawk standard stuff. And it meant like, it would have been easier for me to use, just use the default map that was in the adventure as well for like the region. Uh, but the adventure is going well. I, you know, I was, I have definitely found this adventure to be far more open for me to just kind of throw in what I wanted to throw in than other campaigns it, it is it is already built a sort of an open-ended players decide where they're going to go explore you know lots of you know lots of like little areas that are have like two or three or four line descriptions in the book that you can then expand out into a a real honest to god adventure area and i've and and i have done so so even though the core of shadowed keep on the borderlands is this sort of you know like the ruins from the village of Hamlet. You know, that that's kind of the, the core adventure area. 
my players haven't gone anywhere near that place yet. And instead they have gone and explored these other things. So now I've sort of built my own campaign idea around it. And I'm, I'm playing off of one thing where I was like, okay, I, I don't remember, I, you know, probably rolled up a random monument or something like that. But I, I had this idea of these black obelisks that were burrowing out of the ground. They were, they were, you know, they would, they would break their way out of the ground and rise up about 10 or 12 feet. Hmm. And they were clearly like consciously made, but they were almost too old for any sort of mortal species to have made them. I've never heard of mysterious black ancient obelisks. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> hey, I kept quiet during your thing. So, uh, so these obelisks burst out of the ground. You're, you know, you weren't the one that ran traveler. I was going to make a traveler joke, but that was Sam. And Sam, Sam's behaving. So I'll, stay on his so um so yeah these idea that these obelisks were like breaking out of the ground and and then they would the characters found one it was actually the very first encounter i think i rolled like hey there's a black obelisk and there's like a bunch of skeletons i i had them get mugged by bandits and then the bandits got killed by a bunch of skeletons in mid mid mugging and then the characters defeated the skeletons and got to level two so that was like you know a, a, a fun initial encounter but then they they were like, well, where are these things? And like, well, these obelisks are really, really old, but they only came out of the ground relatively recently. Like, what would have caused that, right? And so then they go into the the town, Dulwich, the, the town of Dulwich, and they're which is a perfect size town. Like, again, you know, Crichton from Raging Swan knows what he's doing. And he's like, I'm going to build this exactly big enough to do lots of different things and small enough that you can get your hands around it. So instead of like, hey, let's have Waterdeep with 368 sectors of the city and 972 different places you could explore. It's like, no, it's, you know, you can fit them all on one sheet of paper. Like you can list all the places in one sheet of paper. Um, so they explored that whole area. They, they kind of went back to that town and then they had a bunch of hooks. And I sort of said, okay, well, we're going to have, I'm going to, some of the hooks I'm going to take from the book, some of the hooks I'm going to add in. But I had this sort of like, you know, it'd be kind of fun to like deal with this obelisk. Like what caused the obelisks? And I was thinking, then, then I sat down and said, okay, we're, we're far enough along. We're two or three sessions in. Cause this is like an every other week and every other week game. Um, I'm going to close my door for spoilers. My wife doesn't hear. So now my cat's going to be upset that the door is closed. Um, <laughs> So I, I, I was like, you know, well, what, what's kind of causing this? And then I, I had this, I don't know, this idea. So they're in, in the city of Dulwich, there's this beautiful like cathedral, right? This huge religious cathedral that is built for, uh, you know, was, was built on like guild money, like the different guilds are warring with each other and each of them are trying to one up who's willing to put more money into the cathedral. And then there's this poor woman who's trying to run the place. And she could barely keep up because it's huge. And also not a lot of people go there. So it's like this huge abandoned cathedral. And I was like, that's kind of neat. What if there was another one of those that was like the black cathedral and it's like under deep, deep, deep underground somewhere. And it's the antithesis of this beautiful, holy place. It's like this super dark unholy place that has been there for God knows how long and is, and, and, you know, different groups are going after it. And I was like, okay. And then the villains will be like, they're trying to find the black cathedral. They're trying to use it to do something. And then I was like, okay, well, who could be involved in this? And I was like, you know, it's been long enough. I think it's time to bring Orcus back into play. Like I haven't had Orcus as a main villain for a long time. Like I did in my fourth edition game, but I don't think I ever really did it in any of my fifth edition games. You know, he's a good standard classic bad guy. So I'm like, okay, so we're going to have like a cult of Orcus, but it's not going to be called the cult of Orcus. It's going to be, I'll, I'll come up with a bunch of different names for Orcus so that my players who have been playing D&D &D forever won't, shouldn't immediately recognize that it's Orcus. Right. And then I was like, okay, well, that's fun. But you also kind of want to have sort of either conflicting or kind of competing cults. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, there's a, there's a, there's a campaign. I wrote about it on Sly Flourish. I've never run this campaign, but I love the idea of it. And it actually comes from the book Neuromancer by William Gibson and, and spoiler for a book from 1984. But Neuromancer is about two artificial intelligences that are actually the same AI that are trying to kill each other. Right. And, and the whole book is about one trying to kill the other, but both of them are like, you know, like yin and yang. Right. And I was like, what if you had a whole campaign that was doing the same thing only with the two heads of Demogorgon and they're fighting each other and they have two conflicting competing cults <laughs> that are like trying to one up each other, each built to destroy the other. Both of them are tied to one head of 
the two heads of Demogorgon. And like, how would the two heads be able to, you know, work angles with the other one? And you sort of have one head that's sort of the super chaotic, you know, just pure villainy. And the other one is a super methodical, like get involved in all the leaderships of, of various empires. And I was like, I think I'm going to bring them in too. So there'll be three cults, a cult of Orcus, a cult of you know, the one of the heads of Orc, the one of the heads of Demogorgon and one of the other heads of Demogorgon. I forget which, the name. As of, have, as, which have names. They do. Hang on. You know, if you're going to ask, I got them. No, I didn't down, ask. I, I, I'm notes. just saying they have you, names. <laughs> no, you call me out. That's fine. Hang on. <laughs> I'll get it here. I'll get the two heads of Orcus because I put the whole thing in here. Uh, where is it in my notes? There we go. Demogorgon. Uh, they are uh, Amiel, A-A-M-E-U-L, and Hethradia. Uh, Hethradia is the violent, aggressive one, and Amiel is the cunning, deceptive one. Mm. And I came up, so one thing that I'm stealing, is, here's a tip, right? Here's actual actionable stuff you can use in your games, is this concept that I got from Midgard. Midgard, the Midgard world book really grabbed onto this, which is the idea that gods have masks, mm -hmm. and that a god has a bunch of different ways that they're portrayed in either different regions or different groups, or as layers of hiding themselves. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to give both Orcus and these two heads of Demogorgon their own names, right? Their own like set of names. So like the dead knight or the Lord of twisted fate or the unholy twin or the abyssal sovereign are the names of Amiel and the eater of worlds, the king of deviants, the hideous chaos and the sibilant beast are the names for, uh, um, um, Hethradia. So that different cults can call themselves like the cult of the thing. And you're like, well, I don't know who the hell that is. Right. But then, then hopefully then over the course of an adventure as they're figuring it's all out there, they're, they're starting to dissect who these cults are until we get to a point where they know all these cults they know what's going on and they have to figure out how they can use them against each other or defeat them or whatever. And they're all tied to this idea that they're trying to get control over this really, you know, like a cathedral sized artifact known as the black cathedral that they could use to either channel the energy of these demon princes or even bring them into the world. Um, so that's like the long, I big, kind of idea but in the short term they're like well we managed they found one i had this other really fun adventure where they found another one of the obelisks and got attacked by a whole ton of zombies and they found a dead priestess there who was the priestess that had summoned the didn't summon the obelisk but summoned all the undead using the power of the obelisk and then but she was too weak and they killed her right so like she couldn't control the very things she summoned and then the players were slowly like backtracking her path to find out like how she got there and what she did. And, and they found her journals that talked about how powerful she was and she couldn't wait to have an army of undead on her side. And like, yeah, that didn't work out for you. So I like this idea that like they faced a villain and met her when she was already killed and then had to go back to find like who she was and what, what she had happened, done and who yeah. she connected to and everything like that. So that was, that was, that was the fun last adventure. And then now they've said they want to go back to town and figure out, figure out why people are disappearing into the sewers. So I'm like, okay, we're going to have another side quest. And I think this is where I might, start to inject one of these other right. you know these other cults probably the, the because the, these cultists keep taking them and yeah this the probably hethradia you know the, the cult of you know i don't know the, the the cult of the eater of worlds or the sibilant beast or something like that the primordial nightmare and they'll be down in the sewers and then there's like an assassin who lives up above that runs like a, a you know a hostel and is murdering people that come into town and everyone just assumes that people are coming into town and leaving and he's actually murdering them i think he will be the other the, the cult, you know, the, he'll be like the, you know, a cultist or, or a priest of the dead knight, which is like this priest is the other one. So this idea of like, you have these major, you know, evil forces that are doing all of these things are all intertwined and two of them are actually the same guy. I don't know. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's cool. It, it's, uh, it's honestly a little bit, I mean, there's D and D tropiness to that anyway. Um, sure. If you, I mean, in a, in a way, the the Temple of Elemental Evil kind of functions in the same way. Yeah, well, this, I mean, th th right. So this is, uh, th that's, I think, by design. Like, Shadowed Keep in the Borderlands is designed to be a mixture of Keep in the Borderlands and Village of Hamlet, which is the intro to Temple of Elemental Evil, right? It's sort of the, the, the intro adventure to that. So, yeah, right. And that's the same thing where you have these elemental cults. Some you yeah, know, four elemental cults that are some... fighting one another, and it turns out it's all Tharzadun. If you just right. keep digging, it turns right. into Tharzadun. But there's Thar also, Thar like... There's like um like some cult of uh in one cult of the reptile god in there with the 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 person in the inn that's actually the assassin yeah. killing yeah. people or taking people away and like 
Yeah. yeah. Cool. But I'll tell you, like, part of the town. like I that, can't that's real good because those yeah. tropes are tropes for a reason. Right. I know. Well, that's the thing, right? Yeah. You're playing D&D. You want to play D&D yeah. stuff. And that and my players and I all agreed that, like when they were like fighting skeletons at a big, you know, big obelisk burning out of the ground. Like that was just yeah. pure D&D. And they were like, man, it's because we just finished Spelljammer, which is like bizarro world and they were like man it was just fun to like they fought three spiders in the woods and it was real exciting you know and it was like that sort of classic style feel really really grabbed it now of course we're still playing straight 5e rules so about the time they hit fifth level things are gonna have to scale up quite a bit because it won't you know it's not gonna hang on to that old school feel for very long right. um but but yeah I, I i can't talk enough about how awesome shadowed keep of the borderlands is as like a really well-designed you know it's it's not expensive because it's all black and white so you can get the print on demand on drive through pretty cheap and like when you look at yeah. those old school event cult of the reptile god and village of hamlet and and you know keep of the borderlands and you try to read them yeah exactly i've got yeah my, my whole that? bookshelf full i got i got the exact same yeah. book right here look this at that is, look at us yeah we're dread do you where's yours man where's yours jeff griner I'm You're not, the odd I'm man out. Man. I'm not good enough. What a what a loser. He's, got, he's just got too much Torg stuff on his Oh, it's on too much Torg. <laughs> All that's PDFs. <laughs> <laughs> so um No, yeah, I mean Shadow... the reason the reason I have that book is because it's just full of stuff like what Mike's yeah. talking about, right? It's just it's great, you know. But like basic, particularly you know, when you when you look because we, we have such nostalgic feelings even if we are you know even for folks who are young enough that they weren't born when those adventures are they still look at them and say wow so that's what D used to be like like i did like i started with second edition but i remember looking at the first edition monster manual and seeing like actual demons and devils in there because they were all like batsu and tanari in the second edition world right <laughs> yeah and i was like oh this is the real this is the real stuff here and but you can't like those adventures are not very playable. Like they're, I would not refer to those old school adventures as table friendly, easy to digest, well outlined, you know, highlight. They're just like the text is just block text, paragraph after paragraph, full of stuff. And so the idea that that somebody like 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 uh, like Creighton can take the essence of those old adventures, but then build them into this format. That is very easy to read, very digestible, extremely expandable. Like, I like this adventure so much more than any other big ass hardcover adventures I bought. And it was dirt cheap. And it's because it it, it gives you just enough to spark your imagination to, to, to go where you want to go with a campaign and nothing else. Right. It's not packed with stuff that you're not going to use. There's crazy subsystems that aren't going to end up making any sense or you know, anything else. Now, the other thing is like every time I come to location though, I end up falling back to another kind of old school designer, which is Dyson, you know? So I, I, I'm using Dyson maps like crazy. I actually, you know, downloaded a thousand Dyson maps on my hard drive and, and built a little, you know, little image directory for them. So I can rip through and find like, I need a sewer, like write the F now and I can grab a sewer and, and run with it. And so that has worked really well. Like all, I'm mixing all those things together and mixing in those other sort of the, yeah, other books that Raging Swan has done to fill in those locations when you need to. I've been using a lot of stuff in Lazy DM's Companion because it's my book, right? You're but, a lazy DM. Yeah, and I'm the lazy DM. But yeah, many of the many of the Raging Swan products also fill that role of being able to uh, 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 you know of being able being able to fill in the blanks in these in these adventures. So yeah, so I'm having a really good time. My players are having a good time. I really dig it. All right. Well, uh, Merrick B has to go, so we might as well wrap up the episode. Oh, well, if he's leaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's over. All right. Show's plus, over. Pack it up. It's, plus, it's also about two minutes away from when, when uh, yep, Mike turns turn into, into a, a pumpkin. pumpkin so. yep. yeah. Hey, wow. You and I have been on the same page several times tonight. <laughs> yeah. All right. So... We will call that the end of our episode. Thank you everybody for, uh, thanks to everybody for joining us. Uh, and so, I don't know, what do I, how do I usually end this? I don't remember. Bye everybody. Go to, go, yeah. go to, go to the tomeshow.com uh, to get all their great Tome Show shows. And, uh, you and can say goodbye guys. Say goodbye guys. Goodbye guys. And that's where we'll end it. Yeah.